Welcome to this podcast from the Bay Church. We hope you're blessed by the message. To find out more, please visit our website at www.the-bay-church.org.uk. When I saw that, it really, um, it not only kind of blew my mind as to, as to the possibilities of um, kind of planets, our solar system, where our solar system fits in the galaxy, in the universe, and how, how many other solar systems there are. You know, all of those, those thoughts that we don't have answers to, but we just kind of uh, scrape the surface of, of possibilities. When you know God, all of those questions you have, they point to God, don't they? Um, when you don't know God, and you, you see things like that, um, you start to look at the thing and not, not at God. But what that really showed me was even the sun changes. Even the sun, the thing that maybe throughout history we've, we've seen as being the center point and we revolve around it and that the sun is this static thing. Even the sun is changing and moving and spiraling and vortexing through space. Even the sun. I, I even think that not only does the sun do that and um, that, that, that the very thing that the sun is perhaps orbiting around does that as well and the thing that the sun is orbiting around is on a, a separate vortex and that thing is is vortexing around something else and so it continues that's my thinking anyway that's my theory <laughs> feel free to disprove it hmm. I want to read you a, a verse that I think is is about about that video actually, from James. James chapter one, verse 17. Says, do not be deceived my beloved brothers, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to to change. Every good gift is from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. It's an even better version, the King James Version, where it says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no... Oh, hold on, that's the New King James Version. I'll, uh, I'll modify it a bit. It says in the King James Version, there is no variableness or shadow of turning. It kind of sounds like a made-up word. And I quite like that, variableness. So I'm going to use that word today, even though you didn't actually get to see it. Trust me, it's in the old version. Variableness. Variableness is, is everything that we can't predict or anticipate. The things that will happen to us inevitably through, due to our environment, due to circumstances. There you go. 
There's, a, there's, a, there's something there in that verse that, that talks about the planets and the stars and the sun. But it says every perfect gift is from the Father of lights, not the lights themselves. And it, it, it links the lights, I think, including the sun, to this thing of shadow of turning. You know, and, and we know that shadows are kind of uh, caused, and the movement of shadows is caused by the movement of, of the light source. So there's a bit of science in that verse, I think. But it definitely points to the, the creator of the sun, the creator of the stars, as being the father who gives us every good gift and perfect gift from above. So even the sun is moving and changing. That could be quite unsettling um, if you base a lot of your stability on predictable things like the sun. And, and throughout time, we've, we've kind of done that. When we, when we can't see the Creator, we've started to worship the things that the Creator has created, like the sun. If you think about ancient cultures worshipping the sun, worshipping the earth, you know, Mother Earth, and um, it's kind of our way of, uh, through, sort of through the veil, of, of pointing to God and worshipping God without knowing God. Um, the trouble is with that is when, when that goes wrong, for example, a solar eclipse happens, it totally freaks us out and we, uh, we panic and we think that, you know, the God we worship is not there anymore. Or if our crops fail or if there's a, uh, a natural disaster and we worship the earth, it, it throws everything, doesn't it? Even those things change because of variableness. The only thing that doesn't change is the Creator. The only thing that doesn't change is God uh, and the, the covenant relationship He has with us, the covenant of love that He has set for us and with us. Those are the only things that don't change. When you see that, when you know that, you start to see everything that God's created in a different perspective. You know, the sun is just another small thing that God breathed life into, into existence. You know, God breathed into existence. Um, I'm saying the sun's just another small thing. <laughs> that sounds quite belittling, but it is compared to God, isn't it? And there are lots of suns, lots and lots of suns in our universe. You know, if um, does anyone know how far away the sun is? Yeah, roughly, give or take a few. Yeah, well done, Shirley. <laughs> Ninety-three million miles. So that's kind of reachable in many ways, isn't it? It's doable. Perhaps not in a day, but it's kind of doable. Here's here's one way I see that the sun is just a small thing, one of many created by God. That if I was to fold this bit of paper and then fold it again. How thick is the paper now? I've folded it twice, but it's four times. If I fold it again, it's eight times. If I fold it again, it's 16. So it changes, yeah? How many times do you think I, I could fold this paper if it was, uh, in theory, like 
an infinite size, this paper, how many times do you think I, I would have to fold it to reach the sun? It's now kind of 16 bits of paper thick, and I've only folded it three times. How many times do you think I would have to fold it to reach the sun? It's only 50. 50 times, and it reaches the sun. 103 times, and it reaches the edge of the known universe. 103 times. Of course, that's quite hard to do with a bit of paper. <laughs> Plus, it's a bit stupid anyway, because if, if I folded it to reach the sun, it would set on fire and totally ruin everything. But, <laughs> in theory, 50 times, so the sun is reachable. The moon is even more reachable. Just a little fact, got nothing really to do with what I'm speaking about, but I just think it's fascinating and it intrigues me and what makes me want to ask God how and why. The moon has been measured really precisely and we know that the moon is exactly 400 times smaller than the Earth, exactly, not, not approximately, exactly 400 times smaller than the Earth. So there's a relationship there between the, the moon and then times 400, exactly, the Earth. If it was any, even, a, even a fraction bigger or smaller, we wouldn't get a perfect eclipse when an eclipse happens. Okay, why is that, why is that important? I don't know. But I, I, know, a, I know a guy who does. <laughs> the, the thing that really blows my mind is the chances of that happening in the universe, of something being exactly 400 times smaller than something else and it orbiting around it, are zillions and zillions and zillions to one. The chances of that being actually the case are zillions and zillions and zillions to one. In other words, it's, it's pretty much impossible. It's pretty much impossible for that to ever happen, ever. And yet, we see the moon every night, don't we? Isn't that incredible? If that doesn't point to a, a creator, what does, you know? We use maths and science to kind of explain how things happen, but we can't use maths and science to explain why. I turn to God to, to get the why. I still don't know why I have nipples. <laughs> it's true. I, I, know, I know how because I asked a scientist, and he explained to me, how that when, when I was a, in the womb that, you know, I was formed uh, neither male or female and, and I had nipples and then eventually I became male. I had to think about that one. <laughs> but that's, that's, that's how. That's not why. I still haven't had that question answered. Alan might remember me asking David Pawson that. He couldn't tell me. It was embarrassing. I, got, I was mortified. When he, he just called me a silly boy or something, didn't he? <laughs> we were all sitting around his feet and he said, does anyone have any questions they want to ask me? And I could see Alan in the background and say, no. And that was the only question I had in my head. He couldn't, he couldn't tell me why. Tell me you're from another church. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. You know, if the sun stopped shining, if the sun stopped shining, everything would change. 
everything would change in our little world, apart from two really important things. God would not change, and his covenant relationship with us would not change. And that's the sun. If the sun died out tomorrow, those two things would not change. That gives me hope in everything else that might change in my life. See, most of our fears are of that type of change, that type of change that we can't plan for or predict or do anything about when it happens. That, that gives us this kind of fear of the unknown, doesn't it? Of the unpredictable, that um, variableness that makes us fearful, but actually know that not everything will change because we have a God that doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But also, we have a God that's made a covenant with us that will not change yesterday, today, forever. That gives me tremendous confidence when I'm feeling shaky. This is how I see change. I'm going to ask my uh, glamorous assistant, David Lindsay, to come and help me with this so I can talk. You see, if I start blue tacking, I stop talking. I think it's because I'm a man. We could use that handy uh, bit of wood over there. Feels somehow wrong, but David's doing it, not me. So thanks, David. If you could just blue tack that up, sometime today would be good. You see, I see change on a, on a kind of a spectrum, going from uh, change that we feel safe with to change that we feel is very unsafe. So this spectrum moves from what I call anticipated change through initiated change to variableness. I love that word. Actually, I don't like that word because it's scary. Anticipated change is everything we know will happen like the seasons, like day and night. Any other anticipated changes in our lives? Growing old, yes. Look at the size of my Bible now, like large print. That's an anticipated change. Look at these goggles I have to wear. Anything else? Anticipated changes. Seasons, yeah, the seasons. Talks in Ecclesiastic. Ecclesiastes about these, these seasons, a season for this, a season for that. But then it goes on to say, I started talking about it, so I might as well find it. It goes on to say, you know, a, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted. And then it goes on and on and on about these seasons. And then it says, some, some, some way down, I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it. Hmm. Initiated changes are, are things that we, we kind of we move into willingly, um, like uh, applying for a job or, or moving house. You know, we make those changes ourselves. Sometimes that's a bit scary. But when we do it, um, you know, usually uh, nobody's legs fall off or anything. And usually we, we get through it okay. And actually, quite often it makes us feel better. And it makes us better people, arguably. So initiated change is kind of the mid-ground. 
between anticipated change and variableness. Variableness. If I say it enough times, it will sound like a real word. Um, I was really, um, I've really learned a lot about change, both um, change that I feel comfortable with and change that I don't feel comfortable with over the past year or two, partly because I've had a lot of change in my life, you know, change in, in position in the church, change in, in my work uh, environment, change in lots of things. Uh, and of course, my relationships with people change all the time, as do yours. Um, a big change for me has been a health change. Um, a couple of years ago, I, I got to a point with um, a condition I now recognize as stress uh, that I ended up collapsing at work. And ever since, uh, literally every day now, I have headaches. I'm dehydrated. I w I've woke up every night uh, for two years now. I can't sleep through the night. I wake up because my head's hurting, or I wake up because I'm so thirsty, um, it wakes me up. Um, most days, I feel this heightened sense of kind of dizziness and disorientation. Um, my mind feels like mush a lot of the time. It's horrible to have to uh, kind of live with that, actually, because a lot of that is invisible. And it even sometimes feels like I'm just kind of making it up or imagining it, but I know I'm not. I know it's a physical thing. It's not a kind of a feeling. It's a physical thing. It's an illness. Doesn't make it any easier to, to deal with. So my changing world has, has been really um, affected by this illness. Part of the reason I'm sharing that with you is I refuse to let it become like an embarrassing, invisible secret. You know, I, I want to talk about it. I bore people by talking about it because I want it out in the open because it's not me. Do, do you see what I mean? Um, if I owned it and kept it secret, it would kind of, I would accept that it, it's, it's who I am, but it's not who I am. Um, I've learned such a lot by uh, my friendship with, with Mark and Rebecca Simpson and, and what both of them actually have gone through over the past few years. I don't know if you saw just a little news item on BBC a few days ago. If you didn't, I'm going to get John to play it for you now. Local celebrity Rebecca Simpson. None of us really know what tomorrow will bring. And you heard there what Rebecca's learned about that and what she's able to joyfully share with her family, her children. Um, as well as being a kind of BBC-style inspiration to everybody, there's, there's something deeper behind that that we know, isn't there? Uh, and when you've heard Rebecca, as I'm sure many of you have, talk about her journey with God and her relationship with God, you know that um, she's been on a, on a really, really 
uh, incredible adventure with God over the past couple of years in particular. Um, and maybe, maybe it's not for me to, to kind of tell her story. Um, you know, we do have recordings of Rebecca speaking about her journey. Um, so if, you, if, you're, if that, that's not familiar to you, familiar to you please uh, check that out uh, and listen to, to what she has to say. What I see through that journey with God is a process uh, of san sanctification. Sanctification is what God enables us to do through our relationship with him by being closer to him, by following him, by getting to know more about him, by loving him and being loved by him, we become more like him. We become sanctified. I see that all over that lady. Hmm. In Corinthians, it says, uh, 2 Corinthians, but chapter 3, um, I think it's verse 18. Well, 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. It's sanctification. I've got another word this morning in the same league as variableness, I think, and that's petrification. Uh, and uh, I'm thinking more and more that the opposite of sanctification is petrification. Petrification is a geological term. You may not know this. It's where the word petrified comes from. If you become petrified, it's not just about being scared. Um, I wouldn't wish this on anybody, but basically the process of petrification is you have to stay very still for a number of decades um, and not move at all. You have to be so still and static that um, the, the rain and the water will drip over you and, and deposit certain minerals so that you eventually become like a statue. It doesn't happen to many people, granted, but it does happen to a lot of kind of stalag, stalagmite, stalagmite, stalagmite. Don't know why that helps. <laughs> You've got to have a system. Basically, if you stay still for, for a certain amount of time and don't move, don't make any changes, that you'll become basically like a fossil. <laughs> that's petrification. So when you say, I'm petrified, that's kind of what's behind it. So the opposite of sanctification, moving and journeying with God and becoming more like him, is staying exactly where you are and refusing to move because you're petrified. Hmm. There's a story I want to share with you. Way back in Genesis, about somebody who was potentially petrified. Not somebody we often see as being petrified, potentially, but... You know Joseph? Joseph? Yeah? Colourful coat? Good at singing? His dad, Jacob, 
There was a time in the story of Joseph where, where um, his brothers came back and told Jacob that Joseph was actually alive. You know that bit? Uh, and that not only was he alive, but he wanted them to come to him so he could basically give them famine relief and look after them. But Jacob was frightened to do that. He was frightened to go from a, a place where he, he, was, he lived to, to this, this land of Egypt, where effectively uh, he feared being harshly treated, abused, etc., etc. I also think he, he probably feared what his son, who he had presumed dead, might actually think of him, because you would forgive Joseph um, uh, for believing that actually his dad, like his brothers, had uh, abandoned him. So uh, Jacob probably thought a lot of fearful things about going to Egypt. But it says in chapter 46, And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here am I. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. God made three promises to Jacob. They're not immediately obvious, but his first promise is, I am God. I am. Sometimes we forget that. And maybe Jacob had forgotten that because God felt that he needed to say it. I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. There's the second promise. For there I will make you into a great nation. Not here where you are now, but there I will make you into a great nation. And geographically that doesn't make sense because that wasn't Jacob's nation in Egypt. But that was God's second promise. If you go there, I will make you into a great nation. Third promise, I myself will go down with you to Egypt. So I am God, and if you make that change... I will make you into a great nation, and I will go with you. Three promises. God knows that, that, that fear of change will, with, will hold us back from our destiny. God knows that fear of change, petrification, will, will prevent us from stepping into the great nation he, he wants to make us. But he promises that he is God, constant, eternal, unchanging, that when we go there, he will make us into a great nation, but he will go down with us. I think those promises are for today as much as they were for Jacob. Not only can, can God cope with our fear of change, not only can God um, deal with any scary changes that are potentially in our lives, but God invented change. God invented change. He designed us to change.
to be changers, to be change makers. He designed us to be world changers. That's all about change. He created us to grow and learn as adapters to environmental change. He's done an amazing work in us. God's designed us so well, we can actually function without relying on him constantly. And he loves us so much that he lets us. Everything God created changes constantly from the stars and the planets to our hearts and our minds. The only thing eternally fixed and unchanging is God himself and the covenant of love, absolute love, he has made with each one of us. Everything else under heaven is created to change or can be changed by his people in whom he has entrusted the ability and the authority to initiate, govern, and respond to change. God our Father ultimately wants us and has created us to change and become more like him. This is the incredible process of sanctification. But it's okay to feel uncomfortable and scared about change. But know that when we feel like that and do it anyway, when we feel the fear and do it anyway, we grow and are sanctified beyond our wildest dreams. So it's okay to feel like that, but it's not okay to let fear freeze us, keep us in the same place. It's not okay to let fear keep us in our comfort zone because this will never bring about sanctification. Instead, it brings about petrification, stagnation, fossilization. So I'm going to give you uh, just some time, I think, to, to, to think about that, to, to reflect on, on what, what, what's making you feel fearful at the moment. You know, is that to do with change? Is it to do with the unpredictability of variableness? Is there something that's unsettling you? Is there something that you feel that you need to initiate but don't feel uh, confident or brave enough to do so? You know, this is all about change. And it is unsettling. But maybe, like Jacob, uh, we need to listen to God in that and hear his promises over our lives. I am God. And when you do that thing, I will make you into a great nation. And I will go down with you. Hmm. Hmm. John, maybe we could um, play that video again and, and the music just to finish. Yeah. 